Cybersecurity and fraud. What trends are having the greatest impact on the financial industry? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with BankInfoSecurity.com. I'm here with Michael Bernardo, the chief of the FDIC's Cyber Fraud and Financial Crime section. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, could you please tell the audience a bit about your role within the Cyber Fraud and Financial Crime section of the FDIC? Sure. Um, my official title is Section Chief. That means I manage the section. Um, the Cyber Fraud and Financial Crime section fits within our technology supervision branch in the Division of Supervision and Consumer Protection at the FDIC. So we work very closely with the Information Technology section and other sections in the Technology Supervision branch on issues related to how banks use technology, the threats and vulnerabilities that exist in those technologies or against those technologies, and other types of financial crimes as well. And what is the Cyber Fraud and Financial Crimes section's primary role? Our primary role in this section is one of um, understanding and research is how I sort of like to put it. We are out there trying to figure out what types of threats are occurring, what's next coming down the pike. I always say that um, criminals are so creative that it's really hard to stay ahead of the curve. So we are kind of trying to be a little bit on the cutting edge to figure out what's happening next. And we look at all kinds of financial crimes. We look at not just cyber crimes. We're looking at things like mortgage fraud as well, counterfeiting, um, good old-fashioned check hiding, everything from that to the more technology-based um, phishing and farming and uh, malware threats and things that we're seeing today. And as far as our role within the FDIC, we work on all sorts of initiatives, and we provide our input related to cyber fraud and financial crimes. So we work on policy issues, any sort of new guidance going out to financial institutions. We would be the primary author of such guidance related to cyber fraud and financial crimes. We work on training initiatives for our staff, for the FDIC examiners primarily, uh, making sure that they're equipped to have uh, understanding and knowledge of these types of threats. We work on other types of examination support, like the actual work programs and tools that examiners would use to look for this type of information while doing a bank examination. How many people do you have in your department? There um, are about 10 of us in the department here in D.C., based in Washington. Like I said, we work also very closely with other sections in, in the group. We also, I should mention, work very closely with the anti-money laundering group um, as so much fraud sort of has a money laundering factor involved with it. So we, we are kind of in constant communication with them as well. And then we work with our examiners in the field and our, and our different regional offices. So while we only have 10 people here, we can certainly tap others to help work on projects if we need them. Sure, and that's a nice segue into my next question, which is I'd like for you to list the top five cybersecurity fraud threats or maybe just the fraud threats that you deem to be the most threatening that have been identified as having the greatest impact on the financial industry over the next 12 to 18 months. Well, certainly the things we're watching are, are things like the threats from malware um, and sort of the whole botnet problem that exists as far as computers being taken over as part of botnets and how that happens, whether it's um, malware getting on computers um, or other ways. Um, so we're, we're definitely paying attention to that and watching that and working closely with others outside of the FDIC, other law enforcement agencies and things like that. And that sort of leads into the commercial payments fraud, which has been a hot topic of recent, and we continue to watch. That fraud has happened because malware has gotten on computers of commercial customers of financial institutions, thereby compromising their login credentials and, and causing the criminals to be able to commit fraud by moving money through wire transfer or um, ACH. So we're definitely watching the malware threat and how that relates to commercial payments fraud. Believe it or not, phishing continues to be a problem. People you know, think back to the beginning of phishing when 
it was really pretty easy to recognize a phishing email because it had lots of typos or misspellings in it. These days, the people who are still committing phishing are really good at it, and um, they no longer have those typos or misspellings, and they do put graphics on their emails that make them look much more legitimate. So even though most people, I think a lot of consumers, recognize phishing emails because of the constant consumer education that the financial institutions and regulators and others have done, related to, you know, your bank won't be asking you for confidential information on email. I think people have gotten to understand what phishing emails are. My worry is sort of the next way that, as I said, criminals will be creative and change phishing a little bit so that we don't recognize it, that it's some other sort of social engineering threat. A third risk that we're always on the lookout for are data breaches. So far, most of the larger scale data breaches that we've seen have happened with um, merchants or payment processors, but that can cause a lot of problems for financial institutions. They have to reissue cards. They have to deal with sort of the aftermath of, of credit card information getting out there, other types of information as far as how that could lead to identity theft for their customers. So that's always a big issue for us. And then some of the sort of less technologically advanced crimes we always are on the lookout for, counterfeit checks, that's still happening to a great deal, even though the volume of checks are going down. There's still a high a high volume of, of counterfeiting going on, especially counterfeiting of bank cashier's checks and bank official checks, because, again, the criminals are sort of following the trends and know what's happening. They understand Reg CC and that those types of items have faster funds availability, which allows them to get their money out of the scam faster. So we constantly are on the lookout for that as well. And then finally, mortgage fraud is, I think, rounding out the the plate right now um, because we're seeing a lot of that. Both mortgage fraud that was committed against financial institutions by um, people, you know, creating false mortgages with straw borrowers and, and fraudulent appraisals and things like that, but also the other end of the spectrum, which is how it affects consumers or mortgage holders in things like mortgage rescue scams. We're starting to see a lot of that as well, especially in this economic time where people are tricking, unfortunately, people who might be facing dire times by saying they can help them get out from under their mortgage or help them make their payments, and then, in fact, they're not. They're taking advantage of that situation and somehow ripping them off, either collecting money that they don't ever get a service for or actually even trying to steal their property. How financial institutions respond to those threats is somewhat of a challenge. I'd like for you to maybe speak to some of the ways or new ways that financial institutions can respond to some of these threats and maybe focus on the mortgage fraud. That's a good question. A big part of it, like you mentioned, is education. You know, For example, let's look at a mortgage rescue scam. That really doesn't involve the financial institution. They may not even know that this is happening because their customer may be contacted by this outside party or they may see an ad in the newspaper on a telephone poll and respond to it out of sort of desperation. So it's important for financial institutions just to make sure their customers are educated about what to do in case you run into problems with your mortgage, in case you start to fall behind, that don't go, you know, answer an ad that's posted on a telephone poll. Come to the financial institution and talk to them about the problems and or work with some of the, the well-known consumer organizations that are out there that can help you deal with the situation. That's where I, I think education education sort of as a prevention can help educating consumers up front so that they know what to do if they find themselves in one of these situations. With regard to phishing, I think we saw that consumer education was successful there. Unfortunately, the criminals will look for the next way, as I said, to to change phishing so that they can get ahead of that consumer education that people won't recognize it as a phishing email. For the industry, for the financial industry, and certainly for the regulators, it's important to figure out how that's going to happen so that we can try to get out ahead with education. I'd point out that the FDIC does a, a quarterly newsletter called the FDIC Consumer News, and in that, we nearly every quarter we have 
one or two articles at least about fraud and what consumers can do to be on the lookout for fraud or help protect themselves, whether it be cyber fraud, mortgage fraud, counterfeit checks, other kinds of scams that prey on consumers. And then I also would add that we do still educate the financial institutions a lot um, and talk to them both during our one-on-one time when we're doing examinations of the institutions, but in a broader scale in our publications and special alerts that we do about trends that we're seeing. For example, we issued special alerts last year sort of at the onset of the commercial payments fraud issue about that, about ACH and wire fraud that we were seeing. We issued a special alert sort of about the other end of that kind of fraud dealing with money mules to alert financial institutions that this is how the money is moving. Money mules are being brought into this scheme to help move the money in the end and so to be on the lookout for things like that. And I was going to ask about tools that you're providing to help institutions fight back, and it sounds like you're doing quite a bit of that just from an educational standpoint. Yeah, the FDIC is always, because we're, we're you know, concerned with consumer confidence in the industry, we've done a lot of education through the years on different issues to make sure that consumers are comfortable and understand what's happening. But we also encourage financial institutions to use that education material and pass it on. Lots of things we produce they can brand themselves. We've in the past done statement stuffers about issues, and certainly the consumer news articles that I mentioned, they can pass on to their customers. A lot of it's now available on our website. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, where actually financial institutions could link to those things and use those videos and things that we have available to put on their website for their customers. So there's lots of ways that we try to get the message out about what we're seeing and what we're doing. And you've touched on this a little bit, but I'd like for you to perhaps elaborate. I was wondering how the FDIC is ensuring that institutions are taking the proper steps to fight fraud, and how does that translate into the local examinations? Sure. Uh, Well, that sort of gets back to the basics of what we do. We sort of set expectations by issuing guidance to financial institutions. The FFIC, or the Federal Financial Institution Examination Council, has issued the guidance related to IT security, IT business continuity planning, and those types of topics. So that's sort of our primary mechanism for getting our expectations out to the industry of what types of things we expect them to do. Uh, And then when we go out and do our examinations, we check to make sure they're adhering to those policies. If sort of anything new comes up in the interim since we've issued a booklet as part of that guidance, then we, you know, we'll check for that as well. And typically we've issued some sort of interim guidance, a, a financial institution letter or a special alert, and then we can check when we go in to make sure the banks are doing what they need to do to address those kinds of concerns that we're seeing. Generally speaking, from an international cybersecurity and cyber fraud perspective, what unique challenges face the global financial industry and international governments? Well, there certainly are challenges there, Tracy, um, because fraud really sort of has no geographical boundaries. What's happening here could be happening in other places. In other words, consumer fraud, things like the mortgage rescue scams that we talked about, could be happening in other countries, where, um, especially where the economy may be suffering. So we might have be able to sort of compare what we're doing with other countries and, and sort of work together from a global perspective to educate and address those those issues. But also the problem more globally is that sometimes the fraud is coming from other parts of the world that may not be originating here in the United States. There are other countries that sort of are more, more well known for having frauds committed there. So identifying where certain kinds of frauds are coming from is important so that we can work with the local banking industry there the regulate, regulatory agencies there, or law enforcement if need be. But again, in sort of the cyber world, that, that can become more challenging and more difficult because of the way people can sort of hide behind computers. And so when we think a, cr- a crime may be occurring or maybe coming from one place, it might actually be coming from somewhere else. So 
working with law enforcement and working with the information technology sector to identify how to, to figure that out is, is a challenge, but one we're, we're definitely taking on and addressing. How can financial institutions do a better job of communicating across borders? Well, I think there are several ways. I think some of the sort of more larger multinational institutions that have presence in, in multiple countries certainly have a way of talking among themselves. We also work closely with organizations like the FIBIC and the FISIC, if you're familiar with those acronyms. They stand for the Financial Banking Information Infrastructure uh, Committee for the government side, and then the FISIC is the private sector side, and that's the Financial Services Sector Coordinating Council. Both those organizations, and then, then the two sides work together, the public and the private, in, in, in that uh, framework. But both of those organizations are working globally and jointly across sectors between financial sector, the information technology sector, the um, law enforcement groups that are involved to address these issues from a, from a sort of bigger perspective from the, from the large picture. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. We've just heard from Michael Bernardo, the Chief of the Cyber Fraud and Financial Crime Section for the FDIC. For BankInfoSecurity.com, I'm Tracy Kitten.